Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, tensions continue to flare since the U.S. killed uh, Iran's top military official. He has threatened sanctions on Iraq and doubled down on attacking cultural sites in Iran. Iran has vowed to retaliate, and Iraq's parliament has voted in favor of non-binding resolution calling for all American forces to leave. Uh, This situation seems to be getting hotter as uh, it progresses. Here's what the president had to say over the weekend. Marines came in. We had some uh, great warriors come in and do a fantastic job. I want to have peace. I like peace. And Iran should want peace more than anybody. Uh, Of course, uh, this all in retaliation to a series of actions, uh, including uh, some protests outside the U.S. Embassy. Let's bring in uh, Babel Saab, Senior Fellow and Director of Defense and Security Program, Middle East Institute. He is based in Washington. Bilal, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, shortly after this attack, the U.S. said that it had reason for that and was uh, acting in order to stop uh, further aggression against Americans or American targets. That seems to be a little vague now. Um, was there an impending threat? Is that the reason for this? I'm out of government. I don't have access to classified information, so I don't know. And uh, what's more concerning is that the American people don't know. We've asked the administration, we as the American people, for further clarification and um, evidence of such imminent attacks, and none have been provided thus far. So I just cannot comment whether there's any imminent threat. Uh, This seems to be now uh, quite a contentious issue in uh, Washington. As far as whether it would actually deter further attacks, we also don't know. I mean, the Iranians have uh, promised to avenge the uh, commander. Uh, He's not the only man in the organization who could do that, who could pull off, uh, you know, an attack. So all of that is pretty much still questionable. Does the U.S. seem to be stepping back on that position, that there was an actual threat? Lots of people are comparing this to uh, the Saddam Hussein weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Do they seem to be stepping back from that position? I don't think so. I don't think this administration is in a position to really say that we messed up or that we, uh, you know, reconsidering uh, what evidence we had in, uh, you know, uh, on the table. Um, this, is a, this has been a very, I would say, unpredictable administration uh, as far as foreign policy. I think you know that already. Uh, and to back down now, I think, would be politically disadvantageous, uh, not to say politically uh, uh, suicidal at this point, frankly, given all the criticism that they've received. Donald Trump said that this man should have been taken out long ago. If that was the case, why wasn't he? Excellent question. I think we're all struggling with that. I think everybody's asking that question. Uh, The fact that we had intelligence on him, on his whereabouts for such a long time, why did he choose now? I don't know. I mean, you got to take it in you know, consideration the context that you started with the show with uh, the spate of attacks by the Iranians uh, over the past few weeks and months. Uh, there had to be some kind of a response. I think what triggered an American forceful response was the fact that they tried to storm the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. So I guess enough was enough. Uh, and I think the attack itself shocked the Iranians. I don't think they were expecting something like this. Um, I'm shocked myself, frankly, that we went after him. But that was the decision that the administration chose, and they went with it. Does the penalty fit the crime? Uh, as you said, enough is enough. Uh, many thought that this is something way too severe considering what has happened. 
way too severe. How could you actually evaluate, you know, what the Iranians have done also thus far? I mean, the fact that they went after the Saudi oil infrastructure and caused major damage to the global energy market, uh, it's hard. You know, there's uh, it's apples and oranges, frankly, at this point. Uh, yes, going after a, a military figure, really. Uh, this is not going after, like, you know, a terrorist leader of ISIS or al-Qaeda or something like that. This is a sovereign country. Uh, and, uh, we went after their main guys, like them going after, you know, our own defense secretary or our own uh, CENTCOM commander. Uh, it is certainly escalatory. Uh, but, you know, the administration sees the RGC as a terrorist organization. This is what they labeled them. And therefore, for them, this is not really something that is out of the ordinary or illegitimate or illegal even. There were reports over the weekend that the Pentagon had given the president a list of options and ways in which he could retaliate uh, to what had happened with the U.S. Embassy and such. Uh, and this was the, the most extreme measure on the list, um, not thinking he would take it again. We can't put ourselves in those, in those people's minds and such. Uh, that being said, uh, surprised he chose this out. I am. I am. This is someone who's campaigned on the promise of uh, getting out of the Middle East and ending the business of endless wars, right? And so killing someone like that with such a high caliber, such a high profile, wouldn't that logically increase the chances of an open-ended confrontation with the Iranians? You would think that it would. So the fact that he chose that at this point really is bizarre. Uh, I mean, there if, if it's a purely political argument, right, that there are some benefits to taking out someone like that, uh, the fact that he has already also taken out Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, right, the ISIS leader. Now mm-hmm. he's taken out two of the most murderous and wanted men in the Middle East. That something that is something that he could actually exploit politically, and I bet you that he would. Uh, talk now of cultural sites. Uh, this is this apparently is a war crime. You cannot obviously go after these religious and cultural sites. Uh, Pompeo was on TV saying, "No, no, no. We're going to do everything within the law." Why is the president saying one thing and the White House another? Because is this the first time that you see the president <laughs> using questionable? Rhetoric? Maybe I, I maybe mean, I, I should. Re- he knows what he's talking about. Let me reframe this then. Uh, why is he even bringing up going after cultural sites again? It's very because obvious this is a war those crime. Gaffes all over the place. I mean, yeah. he's been all over the place with his uh, handling uh, of messaging on Twitter. Uh, it's it's been a disaster for frankly U.S. foreign policy interagency process. It's a fancy word for institutions working together to come up with consistent messaging to the world, with strategic communications to the world. We've got a commander-in-chief now who's just basically the only guy communicating to the world, and oftentimes that kind of communication is either inflammatory or inconsistent, and sometimes downright stupid. This is one of those cases, once again. Um, retaliation, obviously we know there is going to be something, lots of military targets, I guess, for them in the Middle East, lots of American interests there. What about leaders? Uh, as you mentioned, this is a political leader. This is a top military guy, second, third in command. Does the leadership of America have to be concerned about this? Could it be tit for tat? Are you talking about leadership based in the region? American leadership, some sort of attack on an an American leader. So, I mean, the 
you know, the analogy here would be, or the comparison would be to them taking out, let's say, the CENTCOM commander, mm. right? Mm. But, I mean, I doubted that they have that kind of, you know, abilities or intelligence on uh, on him. It's one thing to say it and, uh, you know, go for tit for tat. It's another altogether to actually pull off something like that. Uh, not as easy as you think. And they also have to weigh very, very carefully their options, Despite all the promises of, you know, revenge and all that, they have to understand also, and I'm pretty sure they do, that uh, provoking the United States, especially now after that, what just happened, mm. is the last thing they want, uh, especially with a lot of tensions going on at home for them with the protests. I'm sure, they may have died, died down a little bit now, but, you know, one thing that has been underreported, understudied over the past few uh, months and years uh, as far as what's going on inside Iran is that this expansionist strategy in the region and everything that the Iranians have been doing in the region has actually generated a lot of debate inside Iran, whether this is wise, whether this is sustainable, and whether we should focus more on stuff at home. Uh, the fact that this guy just got killed uh, might reinvigorate that kind of debate, frankly, in hmm. terms of their own foreign policy and how they can protect their interests uh, across the region. Is uh, As you mentioned before, uh, Trump has talked about getting everybody out. Is this Could this, in the end, result in that? I mean, it's possible. You're hearing the Iraqis now debate in Parliament whether they right. want to expel U.S. forces from the country. Uh, I don't think it's as clear-cut as it sounds, as the many media outlets have made it to be. Uh, but that conversation is now heating up, for sure. And let's just not kid ourselves. There's a lot of influence that the Iranians have in Iraq, so therefore they are exercising that kind of influence over the Iraqi parliamentarians whom they feel they are under their you know, control. So, you know, the pro-Iran types in the Iraqi parliament have spoken. But that doesn't mean that other Iraqis are very much concerned about being the uh, battleground between the Iranians and the Americans. Uh, and they just don't want that. This is a, still a very unstable uh, political situation in Iraq. The last thing they need is to be uh, uh, in the crosshairs between uh, two juggernauts in the Middle East. As you said, many were in shock of this uh, retaliation and it being as extreme as it as it ha- as it was. Uh, now that a couple of right. days have passed, what kind of message was sent? H- how is this being uh, interpreted all over the world? How is it being interpreted in the Middle East? Um, I- is it a shot across the bow? Is it is it um, uh, something that makes people pause and think, or is it just lighting another fuse? Boy, does it reinforce the point that Trump's foreign policy is extremely unpredictable. When we mm. thought that we had a better understanding of this guy and what he wants to achieve in the Middle East, and he's, I'm giving credit, he's been consistent as far as his risk aversion, right? His his resistance to uh, using uh, force in the Middle East to achieve any objectives, right? So he's, he's absorbed quite a bit, uh, given the spate of attacks of the Iranians against some of our assets, some of our allies, some of our partners. And then all of a sudden he pulls off something like this, which is a huge turning point, right? A huge shift. Um, and that's what's been so shocking. Mm. I don't know if there's something else in the works, uh, but it all depends on how the Iranians respond. This is why this thing is so unpredictable and dangerous. Now, many have said the world is more unsafe than it was uh, before this happens, uh, happened. Many are saying this has, has already started a, a war per se. Where do you see this going? That's hyperbolic. I don't think it's more dangerous or anything like that. There's been a low-intensity conflict between these two countries for, uh, I mean, heck, since 1979. Right. So uh, the fact that this has escalated, I mean, you got to place it all in context. Right. And so um, 
I don't think that this would increase the chances, really, of war between the two countries. I think it would just continue along the same path of low-intensity conflict uh, between the two. The Iranians will still commit to asymmetric warfare, which is a fancy word for we'll go after you indirectly through our proxies, through mm-hmm. our partners, but never engage with you directly because we understand that our capabilities are inferior to yours. The United States, obviously, is the undisputed most powerful military actor in the world. So that's always a consideration on their mind. So any scenarios or concerns about open-ended or full-out war between the two sides, frankly, to me, are exaggerated. Bilal Saab has been with us, Senior Fellow and Director of the Defense and Security Program, Middle East Institute, based in Washington. Bilal, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Hey, thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and uh, is also involved in Canadians for Affordable Energy. Uh, We have seen the price of oil start to ease up, edge up uh, with what has been happening in the Middle East. Dan is with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, good to be here, Scott. Thank you. Uh, as a former politician, uh, how do you think the Prime Minister's office is digesting all of this? Well, it's a two-front issue. One is, does this grow to be a much wider um, conflagration than we thought uh, just a few days ago? Uh, would this be uh, more than your previous guest, I think, said it very well? Uh, it's not likely to lead to that kind of a situation where, you know, uh, they say the, the tensions between the world powers begins to escalate uh, and therefore causing, uh, you know, countries to reassign and uh, to reevaluate, evaluate and reevaluate their priorities. So I think on the on the foreign affairs dimension, to be very concerned, there's no doubt, pulling our troops back, uh, those who are advisors in places like Iraq and other countries where there may be similar proxies operating, I think that's a prudent uh, approach the government did or has to take. Uh, on the uh, the actual economic impact, Usually, something like this uh, isn't very isn't something that stimulates the economy. In fact, there's every bit of evidence that this tends to be serve as a bit of a downdraft for the markets, and uh, that's certainly beginning becoming uh, clear right now. Scott, the timing of your call is excellent because I now see oil is now trading down compared to where it ended on Friday. We're down less than a penny a gallon, but that's still an indication. But I think uh, the risk premium uh, that everyone thought would be applied very quickly. Uh, isn't necessarily uh, taking place. And as I why, why is that, Dan? Why do you think that is? A couple things. Uh, I, I don't think the world is, is. I don't think the world is in as difficult a situation as uh, as it was with supply. Say last time we saw a major run up in oil prices. Uh, that would be Libya, the civil war in 2013, 2012, 2013. The world is well supplied with oil, and uh, we have our uh, neighbors and south to thank. Uh, back in 2013, they might have been producing about 5 million barrels less than they're producing per day. And, of course, that means that uh, if it comes down to oil and production of gasoline, there's no problem in North America. We're relatively sufficient, and so this may be more of a problem in Europe than it is here. That's not anything to gloat about, but it does suggest that the tension that we might have otherwise seen uh, simply didn't happen. And now, Scott, you and I talked about... Uh, so this is a result of the U.S. becoming more energy self-sufficient, something, we're, something Canadians are screaming we need to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Canadians don't recognize there's a problem until there's a crisis. Yeah. Uh, Americans recognize and we're tired of these crises and being held literally over a barrel, and uh, they got their act together. And, and in a very problems. short period of time, really, too, Dan, when you they think did. about That's it. That's right. Well, they told the uh, the environmentalists and pipeline deniers to uh, take a hike, go to Canada, and do your miscreancy up there. So, and Canadians, of course, welcomed them with open arms. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. 
Uh, but you have three or four political parties in this country that love blocking pipelines, except when it comes to a crisis like this. So let's let's hope it doesn't get to that. The Americans will be just fine, and usually that's not too bad for Canada. But unlike 2013, where we had a surplus of oil, and the Americans were pretty desperate but could always rely on Canada to back them up, we had their backs. It's the other way around now because, of course, Canadians want to be trendy and have all sorts of little EVs and renewable resources that work wonders on a day like today. Uh, are you worried? There's lots of chatter about retaliation and what they may be or what that may be. Do you expect this to include energy targets? Uh, well, we've, they've tried that before, haven't they? I mean, Iran did uh, hit uh, Saudi Arabian oil fields. If in fact, were to be this is to be believed. It's almost forgotten. You and I had talked about this back yeah. a couple of months ago. No effect on the market whatsoever. Um, we saw just a few weeks before that a couple of you know uh, uh, vessels being hit in the Strait of Hormuz. Whoever did it, uh, we suspect it was Iran or its allies uh, that were responsible. Uh, again, not uh, not so much as a hiccup. In the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and as I said, right up since 2013, something of those two types of incidents would have sent uh, oil rocketing $10, $15 a barrel. Right now, it's kind of sit back, stretch, and have a big yawn. I'm not making light of this, but no. the reality is that this market is extremely well supplied, and you have the Americans to thank that they got their act together, and uh, uh, they don't need to take anyone's nonsense anymore. Because the U.S. is, and this is hypothetical, but because the U.S. is now pretty much uh, energy self-sufficient, do you think that was a factor in choosing this target and taking out this oh, high-ranking no. military guy? I can't... <laughs> I can't predict what's in the mind of the president, yeah. uh, but I think for one thing, I think uh, Canadians and the rest of the world have a better understanding who this guy was and the bad character that he was, and that he was uh, persona non grata and one of the major targets beyond Baghdadi, beyond uh, Saddam Hussein, beyond uh, you know uh, uh, the Libyan leader Gaddafi, uh, beyond uh, the world's list of bad boys and girls. Uh, this guy ranked among the highest, and let's not forget he was responsible for an attempt to do what I call a Benghazi, uh, that is in, 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 uh, in Baghdad. He, was like, he sent his troops or sent friends in to try to create a problem at uh, the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Uh, it didn't work, and uh, to Trump's credit, uh, they're not going to let that happen again. Uh, do you think this makes the world a more unsafer place? Again, putting your political hat back on. No, I think it makes the world a slightly safer place. I mean, I don't like the fact that the... Uh, you know, uh, something like this came very quickly, but uh, uh, yeah, and, and the way it happened, uh, I think, caught most people off guard. But the president has that authority. I think uh, if I were to look back at this with all the years of experiences I've had, uh, including heading consular affairs for the Canadian government uh, for a few years back in the mid-2000s, it was the right decision. I just wish that... Uh, there had been a little bit more understanding by most people of just uh, what a bad character this guy was, and he wasn't in Baghdad to uh, you know to play tiddlywinks and uh, to uh, slow back uh, some uh, Perrier and have canapes with, uh, with peace leaders in the world. Uh, so you said uh, that new information out, oil prices are starting to uh, relieve themselves a bit now. Uh, what does the future of oil prices look like as a result of this? Uh, well, it's not stable. Um, you're looking at uh, oil prices remaining. Uh, at this time of year, when demand is very low, oil prices really have nowhere to go unless there's some kind of major significant disruption. I would think be more of a meteorological event, such as the freezing of North America, where you can't get shipping and pipelines. Uh, well, pipelines will work, shipping may not. Those kind of things can play havoc with uh, refineries. I don't see anything else really causing a spike in prices. And, you know, if you were to look at the uh, the ticker, uh, when you and I started this conversation, uh, crude was down, that's West Texas, and immediate was down, you know, 
three cents a, uh, a, a barrel. It's now down uh, four cents a barrel. So it's, it's, it's actually heading in a different direction. Mm. I think markets are going to take a wait-and-see approach. Uh, it's going to have to be some form of major retaliation to cause these markets to get upset. Other than that, uh, you know, uh, the world is well-supplied, well-stocked, and uh, there's a lot of people who will not tolerate uh, any retaliation by, uh, by Iran. Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. Have a good day. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.